All right, I'm here with Wayne. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Very good. Yeah, I'm all right. I I decided to watch both World Cup quarterfinals yesterday in the pub from 7am, my time. Wise. And didn't leave the pub until half past five in the evening. So Unwise. if I'm sounding a little croaky, it's because there were many pints of IPA downed. <laughs> I think probably similar to you, I'm not like a Mad England fan or anything like that, but tournament football kind of grabs you, doesn't it? And so uh, yeah. I got into England this tournament, so it was a, a bit disappointing yesterday, especially actually because in my 40-odd years of life, England normally knocked out of tournaments after being outclassed, and yesterday they were the better team, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I, I think, yeah, we definitely got a shared experience with that. It's growing up with all the United players being booed and jeered and yeah. stuff like that. It was really uncomfortable and for a long time. And then there was all this sort of like internal rivalry that you'd hear about. And it usually came about from the other players of other clubs. They would talk about, oh, we wouldn't pass to them in training or we'd look across them in the dressing room. Now, I'm not saying that United players didn't engage in that kind of behaviour as well, but you never heard it from the United players. They definitely were cliques during the golden generation time. And and that always sat uncomfortably with me. And and maybe, maybe United players were just as bad because they had to sort of engage in that tribal maybe that's what helped united in a certain way have this sort of tribal rivalry with the other clubs and the other teams yeah because it was united above everything else but and it's it's less england because the sort of gammon-esque sort of stuff i still don't really get on board with it that still exists in the england base as we've seen reaction to the defeat and everything and even the sort of the sun doing all the usual nonsense oh, before God, the game. Just which... awful. I know. I don't want to associate with any of that at all. No, it, it's it's horrible. Yeah, but yeah. so it wasn't really the team. There are a couple of things I know that you've commented about Southgate, and I guess we'll we'll talk about him. I actually have got a little bit more leeway with him than I think you do because I know that they've been dreadful in between tournaments, but really international football is about the tournaments and for i don't sure. know what it is there, there have been other international managers like this who seem to be really terrible when tournament football isn't around but when the tournament's there they get something out of the squad they get something out of the players and yeah. it's, it's not it's not necessarily the team but the players and the reason why i had a bit of a connection this time around was because i've seen the the visceral abuse that some of the England players got last yeah. last year. After the last one, yeah, yeah. So to see yeah. when Saka and Rashford scored against Iran, I was I was buzzing for them. And, and I, I found myself in a strange way, because I would never in my life cheer an Arsenal player. Saka's a little bit different because he's so special. He plays with such a job. He seems like a nice bloke as well, yeah. So, so I had that sort yeah. of connection then. And then obviously... I'd, that... I'd, I'd like to find out some stories that he's actually not a nice bloke because oh, I could, uh, I could yeah. legitimately not like him again. But it, no, he seems like he seems like perfectly nice. And I don't want any of my Arsenal supporting friends, if I've got any Arsenal supporting friends. I'm not sure I do. I do. I have a couple. I have a yeah. couple. I don't want them hearing this and thinking I'm going soft. No. Or not. But he, <laughs> oh, exactly. he seems like a nice chap. Yeah. And Bellingham, I mean, what is it to say? I mean, even even oh, Grealish, I mean, I mean the, the stuff, the yeah. off the pitch stuff that you hear about Grealish. But Bellingham, oh my God. When I, I was talking. Yeah, before, he's a player, isn't he? Before the game yesterday, I was talking. I was saying, you have games like this in, um, in players' careers, not necessarily defining, but they. they test the player and you see what they're capable of. And England, all too often in the past, they've shrunk under the weight of passage of play not going for them, conceding the first goal in the way that they did. The shoulders would drop, the confidence would go, the mistakes would get laid, and the game would just run away from them. 
Bellingham drove and, and Saka as well, but Bellingham in particular, I thought, and I didn't think he get any, he got anywhere near enough of the praise that he deserved for it. He drove that England team in a way yeah. that I haven't seen a midfielder do since Robson. And I say that I, I mean he's the I mean I think I mean Dan said this on last week's pod. He is he's Robson. He's the modern Robson and because he's he's great defensively and he's scoring goals this season. And he, he was the one player, along with Saka, who really managed to progress the ball. It's not really his passing, but it's, it's, it's his ability to run with the ball and beat a man. Yeah, his penetration. And, and, yeah. Move into, and, yeah, and move into space, make those third-man runs. Because if England didn't have that, if, say, Calvin Phillips had been in that team or another, another midfielder, England would have really struggled. Because they did struggle to pass the ball through the centre of midfield yeah. and in a way that was as, as... And it wasn't as smooth as France were managing to move the ball through midfield. And then partly that's because the way they set up with these two deep sixes to stop the passing lanes into Mbappe and Dembele, which worked perfectly. I mean, Southgate's plan, I know I said on Twitter, it's probably time for Southgate to go for the team to move forward from here, but the plan was perfect and it worked. And my my only critique was like at about 65, 70 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't make the changes and they could have pressed home the advantage. And I thought that was the moment they'd almost broken France. And this was the moment, moment to bring on a, a an attacking player for Henderson, who was kind of losing the legs at that point. Yeah. And he didn't do it and he didn't make the changes until after the France's second goal. And it was almost too late. And and this is kind of, I think it's a, I think it's a, although Southgate's planning and preparation and his work with the squad is, is clearly excellent. And we got, players in his squad who played a Pep and Klopp and other great managers and and so they know what high quality is and they rate Southgate and my two frustrations with Southgate are his in-game decision making doesn't come fast enough and that's been a yeah. it's been a hallmark of six years of Southgate and the negativity now in this one you could think of it as negative because they focused on stopping the the, the French main strengths but it was also positive because, as Steve Holland said beforehand, well, we're going to take their strength and turn it into a weakness. And they just exploited the hole on the right-hand side yeah. again and again and again. And it and it should have got England a penalty. It did get England a penalty. And it very nearly it very, very nearly created the goals, fine margins and all that. It was, it was the best that I've seen England in a game of that nature. You take the, the 5-1 against Germany aside and other sort of non-tournament performances it this was the best and i say that even with defeat it's the best that i've seen england look like like they were so aggressive they were so positive in reaction to that early setback and to to dominate the way that they did for large periods of the game to do that at the same time as keeping mbappe quiet you you know what i mean they they were making pragmatic choices but they were still dominating the game as well and it's a young team you, there is that catch twenty two. Do, do they do they move forward better with the manager that they've got because they've got experience with him? Do they are they let off their leash a little bit more? Did they need that pragmatism because you know another manager might have said we'll concentrate more on our strengths and sort of for example for example he could have put Alexander Arnold in and Arnold could not have done the job that Walker did on Mbappe no, and no, I, I saw there was that one moment yesterday when Mbappe and Walker had about two or three yards start on him and Mbappe went past him and I was, I've seen yeah. Mbappe run like a freak before and I've, I've I've looked at it and thought my god what am I looking at I'm like, you're looking like at an Olympic runner you, you're looking at someone yeah. who's, who's playing a different 
kind of game to these other people. He's built like it as well. I so, mean, he's 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 muscly. He's muscly yeah. for being so young, and he and, and the speed is incredible. And obviously, his technique is perfect. Yeah, and he can finish left foot, right foot, headed any any kind of thing. So obviously, England had to have a special plan because he's a a very special player and. And the and the plan worked. I mean, it worked having Carl Walker as basically a third centre back. Basically, yeah. I mean, I know it's nominally four three three, but in reality, Henderson was was yeah, the wing back. A lot, of, a lot of shifting on the yeah. right. Yeah, he, he was there to cover the right hand side of the pitch and and exploit the fact that France were basically four four two because and and Rabiot is not natural out there. And I, you know, I think the plan worked. The plan, the prep is perfect, and it, it's and and maybe another manager would have set it up differently. I don't know. I think a lot of a lot of managers would have focused on on that weapon because he's just so special. And and it, the the only quibble is well, one the fine details. Yeah. So for France's goal, clearly it's a foul by Upamecano on on Saka. Clearly he takes yeah. his left foot out, and then England don't get the ball again. Twenty seven seconds and France score. So we can quibble about that. And then for the goal, I mean, it's a brilliant cross. The second goal, it's a brilliant cross, but. Harry Maguire's half a second too late reacting to it because Giroud doesn't move. He's just standing still. But you've got to so. say as well, for, for that second goal, because that was right at the period where, you know, England didn't make the change and the game did. He, the, the, he ran away in the same way that we've seen in the past. And I, I was looking at it at the time, I think I, I commented at the time, I was saying, this is this is the period because that's, honestly, at that level of football, when you've got the experience of winning like France have, that's where it makes the difference. And England don't have that. They, they couldn't ride it through because they don't have that experience of winning or or navigating those periods of games. Now, now they've been through it. They might it's a bad experience, and you've got to wait another eighteen months really for tournament football to try and put that right. And and then it's muscle memory trying to remember how you were in that situation if they get to the knockouts. All these ifs and buts. But that is what sets these elite teams apart: the ability to seize, grasp the nettle and seize the chance that they get, because England didn't do that, yeah. and that's, that's the critical failure that they well, had. That, that's, that's, that's my critique. They, they, there was a chance to press home the, the, the moment, momentum, and I really think it should have been Rashford, and it should have been Rashford at 65 minutes yeah. for Foden to exploit the space, right? So to give France a second problem to think about, because Foden wants the ball into feet all the time. He made the change a bit later, and it was Sterling. And Sterling also wants the ball into the feet, so it didn't change the pattern of the game at all. And then, and then Henderson's legs were going, and you could have that could have been Mount. The change there could have been, although I don't, I don't really rate Mount very highly. He doesn't his output isn't very it high seems for strange, a, yeah. for a number of yeah. ten. Or it, it it could have been Sterling for Henderson and Foden for Rashford, and really really gone for it a bit more. But especially especially the Rash, Rashford change because he would exploit space. And then suddenly France would have had an extra problem down their right-hand flank to deal with, and England could have been a little direct. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, it didn't happen, but I think this is a different experience. It's, I guess it's disappointing because you start to get invested in it, but England didn't go out in a manner that is, has been so, so normal, which is like ultimately being outclassed by better opponents. I don't think that was the case this time. But the disappointment is also, given what else has happened in this tournament, there's None of these teams are better than England that are left in the tournament. So this is a real chance. Yeah. The, the, the real disappointment is that our centre-back pairing is going to be all the way to the final whistle of the World Cup now. Well, that's, that's, that's right. It was 16 players, United players, went to the World Cup. There's two left. There were 11 at the court-final stage, and most of them have been knocked out. Hopefully they're not all too crushed. But yeah, Varane and 
Martinez. Martinez is not playing. Weirdly, Otamendi is preferred, which is just fucking bonkers. I mean, it's not even close. Who's the better player there? Uh, anyway, uh, what the, I don't know what the uh, the rationale is behind that, but uh, they're both going to be playing midweek and and maybe both in the final two. Yeah. So they might be it because they'll have to have time off, right? So well, they they, they still they been might... playing the they've got the third and fourth place games still, haven't they? So they, they'll play that on yeah. Saturday. So either right. way, they've got two more games. We won't see them till the end of January, <laughs> probably, probably. Which is a bit annoying considering that Varane can be made of biscuits, and you don't you just don't know with Martinez the the emotional toll, and especially that Argentina group. Look. I've, they're the most disliked, and and by the way, this is some God, they're statement. so highly strung. This group, aren't they? The Argentinians, be, be, be incredible. Just, uh, there are some unlikable teams that have been in this World Cup for sure. Argentina take the biscuit, and that's with someone, a player that we love for all the traits which Argentina are showing. But you know the emotional energy that that's consuming. Imagine it's getting... like they they are deliberately out there looking for something to get offended about, and and apparently Louis Van Gaal saying in the halftime team talk in extra time, look if it goes to penalties, we've got the advantage. Deeply offended them as if they'd just said something bad about their yeah. mothers. It's so really 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 odd. The the guy who came out and complained about that was the Villa goalkeeper Martinez, right? Martinez, so, yeah, he's a chippy fucker, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, I remember Old Trafford last season when we missed a penalty in the last minute. He he'd been time wasting. He don't get me wrong, goalkeepers do this, but he was He's one of the excessive ones. He's really yeah, bad so at he doing it. He did this against Bruno, didn't he? Yeah, and, and then uh, yeah, and then kicked he, the ball away and scuffed the spot up and all that. Celebrating yeah. in front of the Stretford end and giving it the big one and everything like that. He's, I get the Argentine sportsmanship or gamesmanship, South American gamesmanship. Do you know? But uh, I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. It's part of the game. But, but yeah, but <laughs> it's the, the getting offended bit that's really funny. Exactly. Do you, and do you know what? If he played for us, you'd, you'd be probably getting behind him it. for doing it for, for the, the shit housing of it. But but when it's it comes across as thoroughly un, thoroughly unlikable, especially when it's. I mean, I don't know what went on. Apparently, they were saying that there was some sort of jostling between the Dutch players and the Argent. Argentinians while the, the kicks were being taken. So that's why they were celebrating in the way that they did. And I know that's the image of them running and shouting in their faces is going to be one of the iconic World Cup images. But it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant photo. But yeah. it's, it's, there, really, there have been it's not nice, photos. though, is it? It's not. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's just, it just represents everything that I dislike about that Argentina side. As much as I like... I mean, coming, coming back to England again, Kylian Mbappe laughed after... Harry Kane skied that penalty, which again I was like, I, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's not a nice element of football. Enjoy your win. Enjoy your win. Especially him. Like but, if it if it's a player who has to resort to shit housing to get into into the mentality of other players. Fine. He doesn't need to do that. He's so far above it. He's he's an alien in terms of. Yeah. He's, he's obviously generational in terms of talent. We're looking at like a player who was already going to go down as one of the greatest ever and he's 23-24 he's, he's scarily good he doesn't need to resort to be doing that because he'll be scoring he's probably going to play in two or three more World Cup finals he doesn't need that kind of yeah. it's it's just it's beneath some of the players not beneath the Argentinians obviously but I think beneath Mbappe yeah I I, um, I have to say I I enjoyed and maybe this is bad sportsmanship as well I enjoyed 
players crying and children crying and there's just a little bit of something in my brain the wrong end part of my brain that's like I quite find this funny I mean Neymar who he's a, again a, a brilliant player but applies it often in the wrong way I think yeah and and has not done all the gamesmanship hasn't spent this tournament rolling around on the floor and I was talking to a, a, a Brazilian friend who said he's grown up he's more mature and I don't know whether that's true or not because actually for most of the time in the Champions League for PSG he spends a lot of it rolling around on the grass but he didn't do that this tournament he's trying to apply himself but I still quite enjoyed him being crushed at the end of that game I, <laughs> so I, I think it's the evil part of my brain I'm more disappointed. No, not dis. I don't know. I felt more disappointment when Brazil went out than I did when England went out because I had so much. You know, this is this is the sort of objective part of it because or or the experience of being a Manchester United fan who has experienced all of this nonsense with the England support over the generation. Yeah, you can remove yourself from it a little bit. Now, I had so much fun watching Brazil. They played like a proper Brazil side. and They really did, yeah. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. And if you're watching a Brazil team play good football, I mean, we didn't even see when they had the World Cup in their own on their, in their own country. We didn't see them play the way that they played in this tournament. And it was, it was so yeah, joyful yeah. to watch, to see a couple of the goals that they scored, to see for all of the... So, I mean, Neymar's nowhere near going to touch Pele in terms of legacy. But to see him equal the goal record in the manner in which he did it Harry Kane equals Wayne Rooney's record scoring a penalty fine it's still a big moment and all that but to see Neymar do that in the way that he did it and then to see them rewarded by defeat is it just felt cruel football to be honest it's not nothing it was cruel it's just it is just football I'm not Croatia have been marvelous in the tournament they thoroughly deserve deserve everything because it's they've got this innate ability to grind out results which you can only admire and so there's nothing nothing from that aspect I'm complaining about it's just not being able to see more of Brazil in this World Cup because they, they were so good to watch yeah they were no they were and they, they just didn't press it home they just you know, the Croatia just incredible mentality on that group of players you, you think they're beaten constantly they've they've still not won a a game in the World Cup in knockout game in normal time, I don't think. No. <laughs> it's still, like, it has to go to extra time and often penalties with them. So, yeah, it, it, cruel on Brazil. I, I didn't feel that sorry for Neymar, but obviously Casemiro and Fred are in there. Oh, and Alex Tellez, though. He got himself yeah, yeah. injured. Oh, Casemiro's goal. Oh, my God. Let's remember that again. Oh, what a shot that was. Then there He's had a good tournament. He yeah. had a very good tournament, Casemiro. Yeah. And Anthony, do you know what? For the talk of should we have waited to sign Anthony because the idea was we had to pull the trigger and sign him in in August because the fee would escalate the way that he played against Croatia when he came on I thought he was fantastic he he had them extremely scared he played with a a liberation and also a responsibility like and he plays like that for us as well it took some getting used to as as listeners will know I, I was a bit unsure on him at first but he played with that kind of responsibility again for for Brazil and I'm not saying that his fee would have jumped up to 95 million. Maybe it would have done. But I, I do think that his stock went up through the World Cup, even though it was only used sparingly. He could have been used more. I don't know if it would have gone up to the extent that we needed to pull the trigger and get him. But we, we had our own needs at that moment in time. And I, it could have easily gone the other way. And people would have said, oh, you've overpaid yeah. paid for that fancy down. Well, I mean, 
United are overpaid for a young player that hasn't really done it at the highest level. But I think I think you're right. He was very good when he came on. There's more to come from him. Ho- hopefully, he's a good student and he learns because yeah. like, you don't know where a player's peak is. It should be in their mid mid to late twenties, but often players peak very early and don't improve on that as well. So yeah. we'll see with him. He he needs to. He needs to learn. He's obviously got a man who trusts him and has worked him with him before. Yeah. And so I, I think there's more to come from him for sure. And, and Portugal, I mean, Bruno's been fantastic this tournament. Just, I think the best player of the tournament, to be honest, yeah, Bruno. He's just sure. been outstanding. And especially when not on the pitch with Ronaldo. I, just, just, just saying it might help him somewhat. I mean, Portugal were brilliant in completely destroying the Swiss. Just flexible. I have to say, I did find it quite funny that Ronaldo's replacement scored the hat trick, yeah. a brilliant hat trick. And then, and then it was kind of interesting when they lost, and they definitely weren't as brilliant clearly against Morocco. Just couldn't break them down, and they, they lost. And Ronaldo was obviously crushed, and he's human, so we can allow him that moment. He's obviously this is his last World Cup, probably his last tournament, given everything that's happened. And it was kind of interesting that he wasn't with his colleagues, so he went off on his own. And he kind of said something about him, yeah. I guess. Well, so. I, I, people will know, the listeners will know, then they would have been waiting probably for us to get around to this topic. But let's not <laughs> spend too much time on him because I think we both, no. we both know <laughs> where we stand on him. I, I I didn't have the same schadenfreude as you, I, I must admit. I, I'm kind of glad in a way that, that he's had the reality of his situation exposed to him in a confrontational way that he can't avoid because he to see his team prosper without him and to see the player who replaced him flourish is a bitter pill for him to swallow, but one that he definitely deserved for sure. In terms of the exit, yeah, I guess if if you're looking at it from the aspects of he put United through the mill so we can all have a laugh at him losing out on the, his last grand stage and everything like that, fine. I th- I think it's there's still that emotional part of me as a fan, the, the relationship that we've had with him since 2003 and everything that's gone on in that in that 20 years. It, it's, it's a bit strange, really. It's a strange feeling because I don't have any sadness about, you know, I think everything's happened in the right way in terms of United have moved on from him and all that sort of stuff is fine. It's more to do with how aggressively quick that downfall has been for him and, and some might call it karma I, I i wouldn't disagree with them i just think i i can't i can't glorify it i can't revel in it in, in the same way as i can see other people i know that you haven't done that but i know that you you probably would be you'd be quite happy to let ed, ed let me just finish no on it. Be, be, I, I mean i did a little bit of shit posting on twitter just for the laughs no and but all that but i, I think yeah. it's more i'm not i'm not reveling in it <laughs> Not much. He's got a big smile on his face, listeners. No, so... No, what what are you talking about? This is a podcast, they can't see it. I I think it's just the idea that he's... If you've worked for 20 years, you've scored all the goals that he's scored, he's really, in a way, even though people might argue Maradona, Pele, Messi, they're going to argue these names, best Cruyff, he's got a valid argument. He's got as valid argument as any to say he's the greatest of all time. Now... You look at the way that other legends have gone. Best is a bit different because you had other problems. But look at the way that other legends bowed out of the game. You don't remember. Really, you don't really remember much of 
the way that Pelé finished. It's not a, a really well-renowned story. You don't remember much of the way that Maradona finished. You're not really going to separate Messi at Paris and say that was a steep decline or anything like that. But people no. will remember these three or four weeks for Ronaldo. They will remember. And he's he has only got It's himself... going to take a little time for the heal from that, I'd say. Yeah. But, but, but for, so. for both parties, I mean, for United... The legacy. They, I think for United, he's fine. He's fine. Because at United, I know that there are people at the club who were a bit bewildered by what had happened. But I think they there's still a lot of fondness in the relationships that they've had. They just realised it was time to part ways. But for Ronaldo, he's got this period now where he's going to be looking at himself in the mirror and it doesn't matter what Piers Morgan tells him. It doesn't matter what Mendes tells him. The reality yeah. of his situation is a very, very steep plummet from all from sure. the massive top level that he he was desperately trying to cling on to. But really, yeah, yeah, really, no one was taking that away from him. United didn't take; they were quite happy to sort of let him plod on there. He uh, did it himself. He did, yeah, exactly. to himself, exactly. And that... Ten Hag came out this week and said, "Ronaldo told me you wanted to stay." Yeah. If he could have accepted a a an appropriate role for a 38-year-old, exactly. which is play play some games, but often you're going to come on and try and make an impact. And United would have been happy to pay for him a huge amount of money to be a, a an impact player. And he could have played a similar role for Portugal, which is where Fernando Santos eventually came to. And he didn't need to destroy all of that. And the thing is, he does look in the mirror, but he's not self-reflecting there He's saying, "Hey, look how attractive I am." Yeah, he literally said that in his yeah. his interview with Piers Morgan, and and clearly he's being very badly advised because no one around him is telling him otherwise. And his his wife, girlfriend, wife, posted on Instagram saying, "How could the manager leave out the greatest player in the world?" And so there's clearly no one around him saying, "Hang on a minute, just time catches up with you." Yeah, and it's caught up with him, and he's not the player he once was, yeah, and but- he couldn't reinvent himself again because. His body won't let him do it. He went from flying winger to goal-scoring centre-forward. I, I think he could have. he's had an incredible length of career. And, and he could have been something again, which is he, impact. He could have, so, he could have reinvented so. himself. But when he looks at himself in the mirror tomorrow and he says those things to himself, there's, not, there's no platform that justifies that anymore because he, he'll be dropped from Portugal, I would imagine. They'll, they'll use this moment to move on from him. and Yeah, well, and they'll move on from Fernando Santos as well, I think. Yeah. And and because they've got a very different makeup of the squad than the one that won Euro 2016, it's much more attacking. They've got a lot of very talented attacking players. Yeah. And Santos is very reluctant to use them. I mean, he did eventually. Yeah. But uh, I think they'll move on from Santos and the new manager will not want Ronaldo hanging around over his, like a millstone. It just will not. I can't. I can't see it. I think this will be the end for Ronaldo at international level, and and because of what he did with Piers Morgan, it's unless unless he's forced on a manager. I think the very very few top level managers would want that kind of disruption in their squad. Just, just like you couldn't you couldn't trust that he wouldn't do it again. His, if you put him on the bench. What's going to happen? His stock is only of value to someone who will be panicking in the last week of January. Because even, let's say if there's a manager, let's say Potter, because he's fairly under some pressure when the the balls are kicked again, he's going to start feeling like he's under pressure because of the way things are going. But he's not going to pull the trigger on a a Ronaldo signing in the first week of January or even the second week. So their situation, the Ronaldo camp is, do they accept whatever money's on offer in Saudi Arabia or do they wait for that European gamble that might come in? 
that only might come in. But even then, like that's eight weeks away. That's a long time in football. And Ronaldo, if he doesn't have a club in eight weeks, I don't think it's good for his ego to be sitting around on 31st of January waiting for a, a phone to ring from whichever European club. Because let's face it, no one who's qualified for the knockout round of the Champions League, apart from Chelsea, if they're in a position where they feel like they're going to gamble. That, that's the only, the only logical scenario I can see. But even then, that seems a stretch. I think he's done at the top level. I think it's going to be a very, very swift decline. He does. It was needless, but he has only got himself to blame. Oh, partly Piers Morgan, partly his advisors, but he's the one in charge of all that. And mm. I think that's the thing that's a little bit sad to see, to witness it all fall apart in the space of four weeks. As much as I know a lot of people, and I already had a few people commenting because I tweeted something to this effect yesterday, so I know that people will say something similar in response to these comments that I'm making. I just feel a little sad to have witnessed such a steep decline in three or four weeks when all he needed was someone putting an arm around him because no one at the club was pushing him out. He was the one who engineered it all. And yes, he has only got himself to blame, but you know I'm passionate about the legacies that certain players have at the club. That's something that I it helps my connection to the club as a supporter. Sure, so yeah. to see a player do what he's done, is greatly disappointing. Yes, he's only got himself to blame, but I don't. I haven't personally enjoyed watching it. All right. Well, let's walk up the semi-finals: Argentina and Croatia, and Morocco and France. I mean, we're all Mor- Morocco fans now, aren't we? So uh... it'd be amazing, honestly, for the world of football. Wouldn't it be amazing if they won it? I mean, they're not great to watch. I mean, they are obviously anti-football, but they are the perfect. Just perfect embodiment of anti-football. No, I, I um, can't get on board so, with that because it's, it's the same. You fun. can't. No, no, I can't, Ed. Because remember Greece in two thousand four. I always, I always think of it as Greece. Yes, I didn't find Greece entertaining though, but I did quite find Morocco entertaining in a different way. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly not... negative and then breaking fast, but that, yeah, that that should so. be yeah should definitely clarify what I mean by that because I don't. I'm not comparing the styles of football, but what I mean is. People look back at that period. You remember Greece winning. I remember the era era that followed, and it wasn't necessarily influenced by Greece, but it was all pragmatic and dour. It was the Mourinho Benitez. It was four or five, well, three or four years of dour, nil-nil, one-nil, binary code football. It felt like a long time to get out of that. So like Ronaldo and Rooney Renaissance sort of breathe life into football again now morocco aren't the same i felt some of the the comments that have been given to them especially the last was it spain the spanish who were really critical of the way that they played but i thought uh, when they played they i it was it was spain have only got they had one shot spain did one shot 900 passes one shot they got themselves to blame for how they exactly but they know, i yeah, i enjoyed watching out. the way that they set up to play they they, they were springing on the counter what do you think that they're gonna do they're not gonna just i that kind of like they did at, that against Portugal as well. The, yeah, the counter with Buffal and Ziyech and the, the throw players forward. It, it's not like they they really do on their counter. They're throwing four or five players forward. Now they do set up in five five two blocks to defend, and they do it really well. But and and really against Portugal, they only looked vulnerable when their the centre back got injured and they had to bring the sub on. And and I have to say, like ZH has been brilliant this tournament. I'm like, where where's this player gone? Yeah, because so, he was great at Ajax. He had that just magic yeah. left foot 
an ability to just put it anywhere. And it just doesn't seem to have happened at Chelsea. And you look at this player and you're like, that he's a good player. He's a really good player. Yeah. Not that we'd need him at United or anything, but but yeah, I wonder where that one's gone. Yeah, well, they were talking about his work rate in the tournament. It looks like a completely different player. There's Akimi as well, who's absolutely fantastic in defence. He's a fantastic. He's the best right back on the planet, isn't he? He's, I mean, he's, he's just he's so good, and he's so cool and composed. But yeah, that I don't want Morocco to win it. I'll tell you why. I want France to win it for the same reasons I was talking about uh, the Ronaldo legacy. It's just Mbappe is so special that. I kind of want. I know that people will say Messi and romantic and all that sort of stuff, and the the tribalism is in there with a little bit of defense for Ronaldo because I, I can't stomach that conversation anyway. The Messi versus Ronaldo and to have it carry on yeah. like all the time, like even the 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 create the creation of nonsense stats that are limited to like specific things, like Ronaldo hasn't scored a World Cup knockout goal. It's only because he hasn't, and Messi now has. And you know what I mean? And when Mbappe went past Ronaldo, it was like, Mbappe's past Ronaldo for World Cup goals. And it was like, all, all this sort of stuff. I, I don't, it's like creating arguments just for the sake of... not. Oh, not, yeah, not, and most of them are straw men, yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. Not to, and it's, celebrate, it's not to celebrate the, the achiever, it's to denigrate someone who that person surpassed. Now... I'm all about celebration and elevating. I want Mbappe because he's so fantastic. He is the best player in the world at the moment. And I want to see, because he's lit up the tournament as well. I know we talked about Brazil in terms of in terms of their football. It's probably been the best. But Mbappe as a player, he's really shown. And for that reason, I want, I want them to win it. Although it does obviously mean that Vran's going to play all the way to... As, as long as he can. Well, he's, he's playing all the way till Saturday or Sunday anyway yeah. now. So. so, yeah. All right. There are some United stuff going on as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, 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 we do mate. talk about United sometimes, don't we? So. We do, we do. 35 minutes in. and yeah, Well, no, I mean, there's a lot of United-related stuff at the World Cup. But United played twice this week. I managed to catch the game versus Cadiz. And I didn't see the Betis game. At all because it was in the, I was in the pub. Yeah, you were. So um, and they didn't put it on despite asking. So I, like I, I guess they didn't. They didn't have MUTV subscription. I guess. <laughs> did Did you see any of the friendlies? Yeah, I don't really understand. I understand the purpose of why they did it. I don't think we learned anything from from them. It's a second string and third string sides. It's again. You, you put a situation like this and then you end up with players getting injured, which is unfortunate. I don't think anything's really been learned. The, some players got run out and they needed to get run out. Some of the defending, especially against Cadiz, was very suspect. But really, there's just nothing to take away from there's it. There's not a lot to say. No, no I know. there isn't because, I mean, the, the purpose was served to get players' fitness. The, the you can't... the. the Performances were nondescript. Apart, the only thing really to take note is the period of defending just before half time and just after half time against Cadiz. It was really terrible. But a lot of people are now going. Yes, including Aaron Wanbazako was disgraceful. Honestly, he's just kind of jogging around, and I'm just like, man, you've got a chance to get in the team. No, no, You're, that's Diogo Dallo, who's not, who's not going to play for a couple of weeks. He needs, he needs some 
rest after this. Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't, well. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, he probably yeah that was his his chance, his chance to enter consideration because Dallo has been flogged like a dead horse. He really has. He's played every single. Oh, maybe maybe a deal's already been done for Wembasek, and he's already going in January. Maybe that. I just I just couldn't understand it. He was just kind of jogging around, letting players go past him. I'm like, what what is going on here? Yeah, because it I wasn't. He wasn't like the because he's very basic level is good defending in that situation right it's not about what we know his limitations going forward but when his his basics aren't right then his head's not right but that, yeah. that could easily be explained by the fact that he he's with the second and third string do you know what i mean he feels that far out of it it's difficult for for some of those players especially when they've gone away do you know what i mean wamba sacra at one point would have been open to have been in that conversation to go to the world cup and he's regressed yeah. so far back that they, they took that 10 right backs and he wasn't even in the conversation which must have been very difficult for him and then we've got a couple of players like that who are struggling I mean, I'm not I'm not imposing my projection of ideas but I think it's pretty well understood that Sancho is is having a bit of a men, mental health struggle at the moment yeah with, yeah with the way that things worked out with the England setback for him so we've got a couple of players like that and I think that may be where these friendlies have done more on than good because to be associated in that second and third string yeah. when it didn't need to be done. And Sancho wasn't even there. He's off doing some personal fitness training. I, it's, it's, I'm getting really worried now. He, he was just so good at Dortmund. Yeah. And, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. I saw him a lot and, and his numbers were elite and I, I was just expecting it to be such an easy integration at United and for him to to move on up and one more level and to be a really important player for United. And and it's 18 months in now and it still hasn't happened and he's not even training with the team. A lot of red flags, alarm bells no, going off right at the moment here. I'm, I'm not as concerned as you because I think that there's been so much turmoil at the club, so much... He's never had a settled position. The the idea was that he was bought to play on the right wing and he was immediately playing on the left wing because we had a lot of injuries and Green, yeah. Greenwood was playing well at the time and scoring goals. So from day one, he's never been sort of played at what he was brought in for. So having to find a place in the team when you were... He's going to struggle now because he's got Garnacho and Rashford in that position playing better than he is. Yeah, but... So. but we do have a manager with a very defined style of play. It does suit him. He's not, he's not be, going yeah. to be completely thrown out to, to exile. He's, he's going to be given a chance. He, he'll be given faith by the manager. There's one thing that this manager has proven is that he's not so stuck on favourites that he won't make changes. Garnacho's, no, that's right. Um, he's he's that's proven right. that. So Sancho's got every single chance and the club are definitely, and the manager, he's got all the right support around him. He was. I think it was a good thing that he went away, because you wouldn't want to be associated in that group for that period of time. Right. I, I just, that's just With my personal take. two pointless friendlies. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hope he. I hope he comes back super sharp and fit and focused. And and this break away. I think he's training in Holland, isn't he? And yeah. it. I hope it does him does him a lot of good. And he comes back and he's provides competition because if United don't sign a forward in January and it's obviously going to be really hard to get a good one Rashford and Martial will compete for that number nine spot Martial who these penalty against Cadiz which was good fun yeah, <laughs> not quite the same level of stones as Hakimi H- no, Hakimi yeah. rolling one in on the just chef's kiss perfect yeah. that penalty yes well done well done fella but uh, yeah still it's okay doing it in a friendly isn't it but you know Mar- Martial fit again 
look good, actually. I think it, he is, if he could be fit at the level, and this is always this question yeah. about Martial, always, isn't it? If he can stay fit enough for long enough and be focused, he's going to be a real asset. But I feel like we've had that conversation like 27,000 times yeah. since he joined the club. Well, if we have it, if this is the twenty-seven thousand and first, then it'll probably be the last because he's definitely on his last chance. Yeah. And the way that things have worked out, and the things that the way that things will work out in January, he's going to get that chance. He's going to be United's number nine. He's going to be starting in that role. You would think so. You'd think, yeah. So I think I think he I think he probably will, and 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 he could be a really good player there. But again, fitness and focus. Two things that have eluded him most of the time at United, then it's a real problem. If he ha- if he has yeah. one more breakdown like he did earlier in the season, if it's just an innocuous knock that keeps him out for four or five weeks, I think he'll be yeah. done. He's got another chance thanks to Ronaldo, but I, I I'm not sure of his contract situation. I think he's got an extra year, hasn't he? Because of that one that Joel Glazer got signed. Marcus Rashford's only got the the one year extension yeah. left. And they are they are negotiating a new contract. He's Ten Hag's a big admirer of him, apparently. So I'm, I'm sure they'll do that contract. Although Al Nasser, the Paris Saint Germain CEO, name checked him, said yes, we're interested, and we're trying to. They also talked about Bellingham and said every club in Europe is trying to buy him at the moment, which yeah. is 100 percent true, except for United because we can't afford him now because we're broke. Do you want to talk about the money? Because yes. of course the lease were out. Yeah, that's it's always yeah, we, we... yeah, yeah. So here, here's. Here's the three-word summary. United are fucked. Like that, it was really bad. Worse than I thought. Yeah, you know, the, the reason that the Glazers didn't pay themselves a dividend, the reason why they didn't pay themselves a dividend, it's not because they've seen the light and suddenly they're on board and they've negotiated with Must and they're, yes, we understand it's not a good look. It's because United are broke. They lost money. You can't pay yourself a dividend when you're losing money. Mm. So it's... United owe over 200 million in transfer fees and 600 million pounds in debt, made a 35 million pound quarterly loss. It, the wages, despite getting loads of players off the books, were up and the, everything else is flat. So it's it's basically the money has run out. The business model no longer stacks up. And that's why the Glazers are trying to sell. They, they cannot squeeze any more milk out of this cow. Uh, and it's going to take a new investor to write things, so take the debt off, so they won't be paying the forty odd million in interest and other fees, which is what they they paid over the last year, plus the forty odd million in dividends that frees up quite a lot of money. Um, and then there's going to need to be obviously capital investment in the stadium and and Carrington, and and they're going to have to work out how. I mean, they're okay for FFP actually. They they've got quite a lot of headroom there on FFP, but they do owe a lot of money on transfers. Yeah. So well, yeah. anyway, that's that's a very short summary. Very well, very well done, and I'm sure everyone will be delighted to to have listened. To that. <laughs> no, I that's why we put it at the end of the show. Yeah, <laughs> end with a, a flourish. So, I I I think he. he when you look at it in the stark reality of the black and white figures, it's obviously concerning, and I'm not going to dilute that concern. What I will say is, if you didn't see it coming from August, you've had your head in the sand, because as soon as they went out and spent money on Casemiro and Anton, and I think most, I, I say most of us, it's like it's like when you want, when you're struggling, when your mum's struggling to 
put a meal on the table, but you still want the expensive mountain bike for Christmas, and you still want it. You don't understand because you're a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that there are sections of football fans who they, I think, sometimes willfully remove themselves from an economic situation to say, "Oh, United need to do this, yeah. United need to do that." But most of us, those of us who have an understanding that the pair go hand in hand, realize that it would be a matter of speculating to accumulate and they would go on, it, it would, unless we were going to hear some fanciful talk about a mysterious benevolent investor, which obviously we, we weren't going to do because and it wouldn't go under the radar at a club the size of United. You knew that that was going heavily leveraged on, on the club credit card as it's been put in, in the vernacular of the journalists. So I'm, I'm not, I'm. I don't want to say I'm not concerned. It's concerning. I'm not going to say that it's. It's not concerning because it is. But it's it's not a surprise. Now it's like when you know when someone points something out to you that's bad. It's like well, some people go, oh my god, that's horrific. But then there's then there's the other side of like, well, we knew. How how did you not know that? When we're, the second that you, everyone was demanding that we, the the idea was who were the players that we were in for? It was Rabio and who was the other one? There were two players in. On out of it. On out of yeah and yeah exactly and everyone's like oh my god is that what we've we've you know what I mean? It still send sends yeah. down the spine even though Rabiot's had a decent World Cup and he's had a decent World Cup actually. I thought he was outshone. Sorry to to. He's outshone by Bellingham oh, yeah, and Rice. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's playing in but, central midfield for the team that are probably going to qualify for the World Cup final. So, he, yeah, he, yeah. you know what I mean? He's he's not of the standard where people were saying, oh, oh United are wanting a player that Ju- Juventus can't even get away. They were going to give a, him away for free. It's not quite like that. But we, I still feel like we dodged a bullet. And what we did instead was we speculated heavily. We've speculated massively on Casemiro and Anthony now. What yeah. we can definitely say is those players have improved the team so far. We can definitely see yeah, the value of sure. Casemiro. We can definitely see the value of Anthony. Now, there's always the, the double-edged sword of football economics because transfers are a really silly game to play on there. Rio Ferdinand wasn't worth £30 million in the first two seasons, first three seasons, which we, after we signed him. So the first season he was all right and we won a title, but the the following seasons after that his head seemed to be all over the place flirted with him yeah, yeah. to Chelsea at the ban and even played was he played at defensive midfield in a couple of games when David Bentley scored an actually get, get, get against Wolves yeah so away I remember that one so yeah. so all I'm saying is for the first three years that we signed Ferdinand 30 million didn't look like a bargain but over the duration of his career, it looked like money well spent. We spent £30 million. You think, yeah, all right. We got one of the best defenders we've ever had, I think, even though it was a high fee at the time, even though it was £12 million more than what Leeds had paid for him only a year earlier. You're thinking, all right, that that's fair over the course of the deal. Now, obviously, right now, and I'm not saying that it makes it any better because it certainly does not because the figures on the or the zero on the bank balance minus, should I say, on the bank balance suggests otherwise. But if you take the transfers and the players aside from it, because obviously they're not responsible for the transfer fees, now they they might still prove value for money over the course of the deal. But that that's just my comfort 
blanket over just using using football rationale yeah. to say, all right, well the players the players are a separate thing. And even though we were saying we might have overspent in a, in a couple of years, we might say that that was good value, even. But now we're talking a different conversation because we're not just talking about yeah. the players. We're talking about putting the club in a situation in order to. They would have known that. They would have known that the owners. So they've put themselves oh, in a, for, for sure. Yeah, they they've definitely speculated. And I mean, it's not their money, is it? But clearly, they had to back Ten Hag. Otherwise, the spiral would have been even worse. I mean, imagine United's situation if we were in ninth, and ten people were talking about Ten Hag getting the sack because he we hadn't brought those players in the summer and and the culture had gone toxic and which we know it could have done if the results hadn't and hadn't been okay and and it would have been in an even worse situation as it is with with the glazers telling the market that they're looking for a sale basically they've stuck a billion billion dollars of value on their the asset price so yeah currently trading at 3.35 billion dollars there'll be a goodwill value of a couple of billion over that that's that's about where united will sell i imagine and they're going to walk away very very rich people having done very little for the club but point you're making about the the players the the key thing and i know it's really obvious is qualifying for the champions league united mitigate costs by by putting this clause in the contract so there's a 25 percent reduction of a roundabout in wages but the upside for the revenue is really important for putting cash into into United's bank balance. I mean, there's currently only 20 million in cash in the bank. Would you rather, like, though? It's, it's a really bad financial situation. It, it is. But anyway, go on. It is, but would you rather be in the situation that you just mentioned? If we didn't sign the players and we're in ninth and Tenog was on already teetering, let's just say they were already speculating that he was going to get sacked because United was struggling so badly because they had this big hole in midfield and nothing on the right hand side. Does that hundred and so how, how much do you reckon's already been spent on on those two players? Let, let's let's say around one hundred million has been put down to con- to bring those two players in. Considering that that's pushed the club into a like the phrase that you use, they can't the club can't be milked anymore. The cash cow of the club can't can't be milked anymore. Considering mm-hmm. that those signings have basically presented that situation. Doesn't that make it better? I know it's difficult. I'm not saying I'm not saying the club are on the market. They're going to get sold. Someone's going to buy them. We don't know what impacts that will have on the debt, but they will be they will be sold. And you would imagine that the owners, because they're they're bringing in regulations as we speak, apparently to to prohibit those kind of takeovers anyway. So you would imagine that the the it will become a more manageable situation for United going forward in the immediate term. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking if you if you take those signings away and Tenog is in a position where he doesn't get sacked, but let's say that 100 million is gone, he's, uh, well, it wasn't there, but it's not been leveraged against the club to put them in a more dire situation, they, they wouldn't be in a position where they feel like the the backs are against the wall so much that they have to sell right now. Do you know what I mean? If they've got one hundred yeah. million pounds of wiggle room, no, I, I think I I suspect that they were already even if they hadn't formally instructed banks, they were already exploring options yeah, for a sale for sure. in the summer, sure. and then they've just calculated this into the, the the price will be whatever the price is minus all the debt, right? That you take it off the price, so United will be bought a. If I was betting, 
by a, an American syndicate, probably private equity backed, at least partially, not fully, partially. And United will be taken off the public market and it'll be a, a private entity again. And it'll be debt free. Yeah. And and there, United are actually in a very strong position. If they're back in the Champions League, it's really important. Yeah. It's really important because it's the revenue, it's the commercial side of the club, which has been impacted by being in and out of the Champions League, despite what Edward Wood claimed. And it's obviously the status and, and it's the Adidas and TeamViewer contracts because mm-hmm. TeamViewer are, are trying to get out. So there may be a renegotiation there. Adidas is in two years time, I think. And that's it's obviously massive, right? Yeah. And these, they all really matter. So... Champions League football is 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 very important, and 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 United had to gamble. And and from the Glazers' Glazers' point of view, although they can't take their their semi annual dividend, they didn't they didn't do it during twenty twenty either. Then they took it again afterwards, right? So they don't sell the club right now. They might take this dividend later when when there's more cash in the bank. Cool. Yeah, right. So I, I w- I'm not I'm not suddenly thinking they're good owners or anything they're definitely not they just couldn't literally couldn't legally take this money yeah you can't do it when you're losing money and and any anyway from their point of view i think it made a lot of sense to to actually over overspend their budget in order to give the club the best chance of being in the champions league that's how the, the that's the only way the asset can grow the fact that they've mismanaged the club so spectacularly over the last 10 years, it's, it's just like from a financial point of view, absolutely criminal. And I guess like they borrowed all the money to buy the club. They are going to make 5 billion or so, let's say, and split it between the, the kids, who the six of them that now own about 75% of the club. And they'll all walk away very, very rich and will never have to do anything for the rest of their lives. And they didn't have to do much for it. Right. But they could have been even richer if they hadn't yeah. mismanaged the club so badly. And it's, it's the shocking and totally unnecessary thing. They, all they need to do is take the standard blueprint of what is good club management. It's not. Anyway, it's no secret, is it? And they just refuse to do it. And, and it's just absolutely shocking. And finally, they've got there. Finally, right at the end to something that approaches like a reasonable structure. <laughs> we'll see if it survives when Todd Bowley, Mark II and whoever, whatever private equity yeah. consortium comes along and wants to get the glory of th- going off and signing players as well. Do you know what, though? I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because there is a distinction to be made from the owners and the staff and the staff and the squad. Now, there are good people at the club. People will say, oh, you apologists and all that. I'm not talking about the owners, but the the structure that's currently in place, I've heard nothing but good things about most of those people there, the, the work that they do. And I'm not talking about on the financial side, I'm talking about the actual work, the day-to-day work that they do, the people that they're in contact with and, and the way in which they're embracing the, the actual identity of the club. It's positive and it would be a massive... I'm not saying it's not a catch-22 because obviously we all want the same thing in terms of the ownership and it's moving in that direction. But the catch-22 is, like you said, someone coming in and and sweeping everything out. And it would... I I think there's a really good structure in there. I think it's positive and it's moving forward on the football side, I think. And, And even... In, in the non-football side, there are good people there. And for it to feel 
if you if you remove the the ownership and the financial side away from it, which I know is difficult to do, and people might say it goes hand in hand, but if you do that, and if you can look at the people, and you can look at the playing staff, and you can look at the team, and you can look at the manager, and think, all right, this actually feels feels more like what we're supposed to be, then even even under Ollie, it didn't feel like this. Sure, it, it looked all professional, doesn't it? We've got a good coach. We've got some new players that are badly needed. We have a director of football and supporting technical staff, now fairly well built out, and analytics department, which isn't given the prominence it is at other clubs, but like all the all the things that you, you kind of need to give yourself the best chance of succeeding are there. Now, you can start to question, like, is it the right coach? Are they the right players? Is it the right football director? Is it the right technical director? Like, but once you've got the structure, you can like look for the best exactly. people in and, in all these positions, and they finally got there. And that's and, that, and those other things that you mentioned are are football problems. Do you know what I mean? They're not. You can't just say Manchester United have to get it right every single time. They're, every football club has this problem where they want to have the right manager, they want to have the right director of football, they want to have the right technical staff, and all that sort of stuff, and only one can win the league and only one can win the FA Cup and only one can win the league, the, the Carabao Sports Energy Drink Cup. Do you know what I mean? These, the, yeah. You can't have, as I say, only one. It's Manchester City most of the time is that one because of the money that they spend. But the point, the point I'm making, the point is that you don't have a divine right to succeed. Even Manchester United don't. So, But we're more understanding of mistakes. We can... You can hire and fire the wrong manager. You can. It's when when the decisions cause you to scratch your head. And, and really, in terms of the managers, apart from David Moyes, you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying 100 percent of people were in support of Louis Van Gaal. I'm not saying they were all in support of Jose Mourinho. That that with a lessening degree of conviction over every manager that we've we've hired, apart from Ten Hag. Even even with Ten Hag, you would probably have had sixty percent of people favouring Pochettino. What, what I'm, I'm saying is that the manager is hiring, firing a manager. Is, we were spoiled with Ferguson. He, he was the right man because he was never going to get sacked because he was the best man for the job all the time. And then as soon as you became yeah. every other football club, which United are, albeit with the greatest history, there's still a football club who hires and fires a manager. They've got. It's very hard to get that decision right. It's not an easy thing. United yeah. have only they've had Busby for a quarter of a century and, and Ferguson for a quarter of a century, and most of the rest of the time they don't get it right. So in yeah. that respect, yeah. they're not they're not different to any other football club. And we should stop. We talk about it on a weekly basis. We have these conversations, and we we, we say, "Oh, United have failed again." But every club fails all the time. Every club fails all the time. Even Manchester City until they got Guardiola. Even Liverpool, every club fails all the time. Yeah. Even those managers will fail, and that's just the nature of football. And it just feels right right now, at this moment in time, when United are moving in the right direction. And I'm not saying they have to win trophies this season or next season. I want to see that, but what I want to see is the club looking like itself, moving in the right direction. That's what all of us want to see, and we want to enjoy to watch. We want to enjoy it when we watch a team playing football. As long as they're doing that. I think that the thing is, for me, Ed, it is becoming important when when we're talking about the the ownership and the, the potential of a takeover because there are so many, there's so many different things. The, the, all the fan groups 
of United, what kind of role are they going to play moving forward? MUST, what kind of role will they be happy to? In the 1958, they've been so prominent with the takeover and the influence mm-hmm. of it. What kind of, they they should, I'm not saying they should be definitely invited to be like a coalition with the MUST, but they, should, they deserve some kind of recognition. What does that look like? All these kind of things need to be taken into account. So the people, all the right, we don't lose the wrong people. Do you know what I mean? At this moment in time, it's so mm-hmm. critical. We know when the Glazers took over, a lot of good people, and I know I'm ranting and going on to a long conversation about something completely different, but when the Glazers took over, a lot of good people who supported United went and set up a Phoenix club. A lot of good people who supported United never went back into the stadium because they couldn't stomach it. Though, yeah. though you were talking about reintegrating that relationship, bringing that back for those people as well. Do you know, it's a, it's a massively complicated thing. And I just, I, that's the thing I want more than anything is that for all these people who have been disengaged and all the people who are doing good work, that we don't lose sight of all of that in this sort of rush for like, oh, we need financial stability and we need team to be playing sure. well. There's, it's a football club. It's a social environment as well. And all of these yeah. things. I I was I touched with Duncan, obviously it must. And I was hoping to have him on the show. He just couldn't do it while they are negotiating for this, this pool of shares to be available for fans. And I, and I don't know the the status of that negotiation yet and, and what's going to happen. It will certainly change when there is a new owner and we don't know the timeline on that new ownership but but if it's a private equity slash private money deal then then there's no particular reason for that group to block off a bunch of shares for supporters right so that that negotiation will restart and i and i hope it's a different thing but i hope one yes they realize that the club has been moving in the right direction on the structure of the club and and that's not all ripped up and i don't i, I don't suppose people spending several billion pounds dollars on on the club will will want to rip that up necessarily and and then i hope that fans and fans groups have some kind of say now it's not going to be much of a say yeah. i wish it was more but the truth is that a private equity funded project is there to make money not there to give away shares and not there to cede control. So, and I think that's the conclusion the Glazers probably came to as well. That well, we're not going to give you shares for free. And by the way, we're we're not actually going to give you. There's not going to be enough shares that have any kind of voting rights available yeah. for you either. And in a private company, there's even less transparency. And United will be a private company after the sale. And so there won't be a lot of view into what's happening. So I, th- I think probably we will be disappointed if we're hoping for some kind of significant fan ownership. And, unless by some miracle, Jim O'Neill and David Beckham and a bunch of the Red Knights get together and they decide that the fans are an important stakeholder in the consortium. I don't actually see that happening. But yeah. hey, we'll, we'll see. All right. All right. I guess that's it for the week. Well, it is cause... That's, a, that's, a, that's a long conversation on World Cup and Manchester United. It's only 10 days until we play again. Yes, I know. Burnley at Old Trafford. It's Burnley? It's Burnley, isn't yeah. it, in the League Cup? Never yeah. have I looked forward yeah, on the 21st. to watching Burnley as much as this. It's going to be great. <laughs> Burnley, Forest and Wolves before the end of the year. Buzzing. Good stuff. Yeah, love it. All right, Wayne, great to talk to you. You too, my friend. Keep well. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you soon.